Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. All right, good morning. As Atul mentioned, we are wrapping up the series today, our Time to Make Up series, and I'm excited just to be able to preach one of the messages in this series. And like he said, I'm just going to repeat everything he just said, because I, I believe this has been an incredible series as we have learned about and, and, and contemplated the incredible gift that God has given us through his forgiveness, through offering up his son. And as a result of that forgiveness, the forgiveness that we are to extend to others. And as he mentioned, if, if you've missed any of these messages, be sure to go to our website and catch up on them. As he also mentioned, though, we know, we know for a fact that this has been a difficult series for some of us. Um, some of us have received life-altering wounds from individuals that should have been loving us and protecting us, but they did the opposite. And those situations, those individuals can be extremely difficult to forgive, and we get that. And this is why Pastor Ben has emphasized and, and, and stressed and, and shared disclaimers and, and, and provided wisdom on how we can go about beginning, beginning to forgive those individuals and things of that extreme nature, okay? So we've covered that. So I'm not going to cover things at that level today. No, what, what I'm after today is how do we go about forgiving the small stuff? How do we go about forgiving the minor offenses that we receive practically on a daily basis? And when I say minor, I'm not dismissing the offense. I'm not implying that we should be able to get over it quickly. No, no, no. When I say minor offenses, I'm talking about those mistakes those slights, those lapses of judgments from other people, those unintended offenses that, again, they don't reach the level of egregiousness, but yet they are still annoyingly frustrating. Can I get a witness? All right. You are with me. It's the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony, right? Still a crime, but not as severe or serious. Minor offenses are things like when you're friend or spouse cancels on you at the last minute. It's, it's when your roommate leaves their dirty clothes on the floor again, or your roommate eats your food again. It, it's, it's when someone you love and trust makes a joke in public but at your expense, or fill in the blank the last time you were hurt or frustrated by someone. As minor as some of those things may seem, they can really drive a wedge between us and others. They really can. You see, those small things can be just as hard to forgive as the big things, especially when we let them pile up. 
There's this line in the book of Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a book in the Bible about love and relationships. And this is what it says. Our vineyards are in blossom. And so what he's saying is our relationship is going well. It's growing. And if we want to keep it that way, there's something we must do. He goes on to say, we must catch. We must catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards. Let me ask you, are you catching the little foxes in your relationships? You see, the wisdom here is that we must watch out for. We must stop. We must catch the little foxes that have the potential of hardening our hearts. Because before you know it, it's the little foxes that will ruin a strong, healthy vine. It's the minor offenses, the small things that will ruin a strong and healthy relationship. Think about this. How many relationships have you pulled back from because of some minor offenses? You're just like, you know what? I'm just going to take a step back. How many small groups have you stopped going to because you just got annoyed by some of the people in there? I'm stepping on some toes right now. (laughs) How many dates did you ghost? Because they just had this thing about them. I'm not, and again... I'm not talking about the red flags that you should look out for. I'm just talking about those pet peeves. I'm going to give time for the Holy Spirit to bring these people and names to mind. Listen, these are individuals that you might still be on speaking terms with. Heck, they might still live under your roof but you're just not as close to them as you once were. Something happened that drove you apart, or a series of things happened, and you just got tired of it. And I believe in those situations, just as much as in the big ones, God desires for there to be forgiveness and reconciliation. God desires for you to lean in, keep on leaning in, not moving away, not pulling back, not giving up on people, but to keep on leaning in. This is so important for us to be able to forgive the small stuff. If you want to just, if you want to go beyond just getting along in your home and you want to have a vibrant and thriving relationship with your spouse, and your kids, you need, to be, you need to be able to forgive the small stuff. If you want to go beyond just going to work, putting in your time, clocking out, going home, whatever it is that you do, and you actually want to enjoy work, and you want to move the ball forward with your teammates, you need to be able to forgive the small stuff. If we want to be that Acts 2 church that Shauna was talking about in the beginning that takes the message of Jesus into this world and is healing wounds and is moving the ball forward for the kingdom of God, we need to be able to forgive the small stuff within us. And so that's what I'm after today.
So we're going to just look at some passages of Scripture, some examples, and see how we could possibly do that just a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. We're just going to read one verse right now. This is our main verse for today. Colossians, Colossians 3.13, this is from the New Living Translation. So your translation might read it a little bit different. And this is what it says. Make allowance for each other's faults. The NIV says, bear with one another. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Because remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Pray that God will speak to us. I believe he's already speaking, but I pray that he will speak to you directly. He's a speaking God. So go ahead and have a seat. Now, I know that I've already shared one animal illustration with the little foxes, and at the risk of being perceived as an animal lover, I'm going to go through with this and share another illustration by bringing up this guy, okay? Not only are we to catch the little foxes, but we are more like the porcupine than you would ever imagine. There's a, a short parable that I absolutely love called the porcupine's dilemma. And I love it because it highlights not only its dilemma, but our dilemma as well. The parable is about a group of porcupines that huddled together during a winter storm in order to stay warm. But as you can imagine, coming close created some uncomfortable poking and needling that just became too much for some. It hurt. And so a few of them, on their own, decided to leave the group and fend for themselves. Now, I shared that parable a, few, a while back. I can't remember when, but it was during a season when we, were, when we were promoting groups. And I believe I said that those porcupines who left the group froze in the storm, basically implying if you didn't join a group, you were going to die. <laughs> My apologies. I didn't, that was not what I was trying to get across. You're not going to die, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the honest truth. Life is hard. Life is a storm. On the calm days, it's a storm. And it's, life is hard. Now, our culture wants us to believe that we don't need anybody. We don't need anybody, that we can go at it alone. So if someone is frustrating us or bothering us or they hurt us, no matter how big or small, forget them. Why bother even trying to make it right? You don't need them. That's what our culture communicates to us. You can get by on your own. That's a lie. You do need them. I need you and we need each other. We need each other. There's a reason why God said of Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. I must make him a helper. It's not good for man to be alone. I must make him a helper. And get this, guys. When did he say that? That was before the fall, before things got really hard. 
But who knew that the helper that God would make and bring would also bring with them some problems? They're still a helper, but they're coming with some problems. They're going to create some problems. Listen, when you and I decide to lean in and we decide to do life together, there is great benefit there. There is great benefit there. In fact, this past week, I heard from a psychiatrist. He was talking about the research that's coming out of neuroscience. And what they're finding out of this research is that the brain is able to work harder and it's able to work longer when it's not alone, when it's not the only one in the room working on that problem. Guys, when you and I come together, when we decide to do life together, we're able to help each other get through life. We're able to accomplish more. But at the same time, as a result of choosing to walk together, we end up stepping on each other's toes. We end up poking each other. It gets uncomfortable quick the more time you spend with someone. And this is why we need to make allowance for each other's faults, going back to our verse. To make allowance for each other's faults means that as we huddle up in community, trying to get through life together, I'm going to make space for the rough edges of others. That's what it means. I'm going to make space for the rough edges of others. I'm going to to make allowance is to give room for people to mess up because none of us are perfect. Jess, can you put up uh, the picture of my porcupine again? Thank you. This is us. This is absolutely every single one of us. When we make allowance, we realize, oh, it's not just them that has the needles, that does some poking. Oh, man, it's me too. That's what it means to make allowance. It's me too. And since I'm not perfect, I need to learn not to expect it from everyone else. Come on, you perfectionists. To make allowance, here's another one. To make allowance for the faults of others means that I don't have to call them out on every grievance. Oh, you know where this happens the most? In the home. That's where our filter goes away. We call them out, our spouse and our kids, especially parents to kids. We call them out for every grievance. But guys, we all know this. That wears on people. It wears on the relationship. Now, we do a little bit better outside of the home, but we still let it be known that they've done something that bothers us. We're, we're not a confrontational culture, but we have our ways. We, we do it through our attitude. We do it through the silent treatment. We let them know that you, you're bothering me through our snarkiness. But again, that wears on people. Listen, guys, let me know if you're with me. I would rather you come to me and tell me to my face that I have hurt you or that I'm bothering you than for you to mumble something under your breath as I'm walking away. We don't have to call out every grievance, every little mistake that someone makes. 
God did not put me on earth or you on earth to smooth out the rough edges of every single person around us. No, no, no. He rather me focus on my own rough edges than on the ones of others. He rather me remove the plank from my own eye than to re- go ahead and try to remove the speck in your eye first. I think I heard that somewhere, right? We, we remove the plank from your own eye before you go and try to remove the speck in someone else's eye. So in essence, to make allowance is to do this. It's to predetermine to forgive. You're predetermining to forgive. You, 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 you predetermine to give people a pass. And you don't even have to mention it to them. I just forgave you. No, you don't. You, you could just be quiet. <laughs> that annoyed me and I forgave you. No. You, you, you can pick up the dirty clothes of your roommate. Or you can leave it. That's an option too, but... If it's bothering you, you can pick it up, put it where it belongs, and that's enough. All is forgiven. But you're probably like, how will they learn? If I don't tell them, if I don't let it be known, how will they learn? If there's something for them to know, tell them. I'm not telling you not to say it. Tell them. Especially if you've never mentioned it before, say something. Just don't hold it against them. That's unforgiveness. We're so worried about when will they learn. When will we learn that if we were just to shut our mouths and and let it go, boy, just that one act will make us better human beings. It will make us more like Jesus, and it will improve our relationship with that individual. So as I'm going through this, I'm sure names, faces, situations are coming to mind. And I can pretty much guarantee you the people that are coming to mind are those closest to you. Those closest to us need the most allowance. Who do you think in my life needs the most allowance? She's sitting right over here. (laughs) No. And it's not because of her, it's because of me. As incredible as my wife is, she needs the most allowance for me. Let me give you two examples. One is when she leaves the door open when I'm taking a shower. She leaves the door open to the bathroom. I know you didn't need that picture, but I just don't want that cold draft coming in, and it gets to me every single time. The other is when she leaves the cabinet doors open, both in the kitchen and in the bathroom. I don't want to get hurt as I'm walking by because I'm up here, I'm looking up here, and I don't want to take out a knee. And it's funny, but literally, when, when I'm in the shower and I'm like, babe, don't, don't break up a happy home and just close the door. I feel like it's like 80% of the time she, she just leaves it open. I've had to learn to make allowance. I've had to say, Will, this is not a sin. We, we have an issue with doors, but this is not a sin. <laughs> this is not a sin. You could be a little bit nippy in the, in the shower. <laughs> and if you take out a knee and can't walk, that's okay. You'll be fine. You'll live through it. Humor is a great way to make allowance, too. I've had to learn how to make allowance. Why? Because I love my wife, and I want to have a good relationship with her. Because you know what happens. You've, you've been in that situation with the little things, 
I, I, and there's been times I get out of that shower and I am upset. I'm, I'm done for the day. I'm done. We let things get there because we don't know how to make allowance or we haven't made allowance. Let me give you a, a tip, a tool from John Gottman. He does a lot of great stuff um, with, with couples and with parenting. This is a marriage example, but I believe it applies to any relationship. He writes this, happily married couples aren't smarter, richer, or more psychologically astute than others. They're not, no. But in their day-to-day lives, they have hit upon a dynamic that keeps their negative thoughts and feelings about each other, which every single couple and relationship has. They've hit upon that dynamic that keeps their negative thoughts and feelings about each other from overwhelming their positive ones. They don't let the small things the negative things overwhelm the good things. In essence, don't let the rough edges or minor offenses consume your thinking. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. To make allowance for each other's faults is to have a short-term memory. And what has helped me have a short-term memory to, to, to focus on the positive things and not the negative things is to be grateful for those people around me that at times might do things that just get to me, and to, just to let go of the other stuff, to know that these are great individuals, that they are for me, that I'm for them. That's how we make allowance. Now, let's move on to the next section of our verse where it says, forgive anyone that offends you, okay? So this is kind of growing in stages, right? Forgiving the small stuff now, okay, now I'm actually offended. I need to forgive that person. When we are unable to dismiss or bypass an offense when our predetermination to forgive fails us, we are left wounded. We are left offended. And that is a dangerous place to be. Many times it's unavoidable, but it's extremely dangerous if we allow ourselves to stay there. Here's why. Proverbs 18:19 says this. An offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city. This is powerful imagery. What the writer of Proverbs is saying, when we are offended and we allow ourselves to sit in that offense, we build up walls to keep that individual out and possibly everyone else out as well. We build up walls to protect ourselves. Let me ask you, How many of you have your walls up right now? How many of you have built up a fortress around you to keep people at a distance? And here's how you know, at least one way that you can know. You know that you've done that because you can't remember the last time that you've had to forgive someone or the last time that you've had to ask for forgiveness. You see, you might be safer than you've ever been because you have isolated yourself and walled yourself all from others. But let me ask you, what has your response to that offense done to your heart? You're probably not engaging with people in ways that requires forgiveness, but what has that done to your heart? C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, which I highly recommend, He writes this, there is no safe investment. Whether you try to, let me me put a pause here, whether you try to 
step into relationships, it's a little bit risky. Or if you try to wall yourself off and isolate yourself, it's dangerous as well. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Step into relationships, that's possibly what's going to happen at some point. But here's the, other, the alternative. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Now, I believe that last part is good advice. Don't give your heart to an animal. I'm not doing that with my dog, Eva, so don't do it. But not a time for jokes, sorry. Um, if you want to keep your heart intact, if you want to protect it, give your heart to no one. Instead, wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, something's going to happen. It will change. It will not be broken. No. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And let me ask you again, what is the condition of your heart today? My father-in-law used to always ask me that. And it's a great question. How's your heart? It was a great question until those moments when he would ask and my heart wasn't in a good place. How's your heart? Because the condition of your heart determines how you're in relationship with others, and whether or not you're in relationship with others. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love that word, tenderhearted. You see, how we treat others, whether or not we are kind to them or harsh or cold, and whether or not we are able to forgive them, it all depends on this on whether or not we can keep a soft heart towards them. In a moment, I'm going to share how we can have a heart transplant, how we can replace a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. But first, let me just share with you some practical things that we can do when we are offended. I'm going to share with you one important thing that we can do when we are offended, and then four things that we shouldn't do when we are offended. Actually, let, first, let's start with the shouldn't do's, okay? Here are unhealthy ways to deal with conflict and offenses. The first one, silence. Silence. This is when we pretend we were never hurt or wronged in the first place. This is when we say, I'm all good, but we're not, okay? Now, I know this one might be a little bit confusing to some of you, because of what I said earlier under the make allowance section when I said you shouldn't air out every grievance. But you, you have to see, you have to remember that when making allowance, you have predetermined to forgive, and it's stuck, right? You, you forgave. But letting something go or pretending that it didn't happen is not the same thing as forgiveness. That's silence. It's not the same thing. The second thing we shouldn't do is passivity, be passive. This is when we'd rather be comfortable, we'd rather keep the peace, 
We'd rather not rock the boat or any other phrase in that area. We'd rather do that than, even though it's probably the most unhealthy thing that we can do, but we'd rather keep the peace than to do our part and clear the air and reconcile. The third thing we shouldn't do is talk about it to everyone else except the person that hurt us. Yes, we might have gotten it off our chest, but that relationship is still broken. And the last one, we shouldn't blow up on people. Now, this tends to happen when we've been silent and passive for too long, right? We, we blow up. It builds up. We're going to put a comic on the screen. Just take a moment to read that real quick. It's too small? Okay. For 43 years, Hank had successfully stuffed every feeling he'd ever had until, of course, the morning when Fred asked if he could borrow a paperclip. It really is the straw that breaks the camel's back sometimes, right? It's Frank had just stuffed, I mean, Hank had stuffed everything down. Poor Frank just wanted a paperclip. Hank lost it. Now, that's just, that's just a warning. I know that's never been any of us. So those are four things that we should avoid. But here's the main thing that we should do if we have been offended. We should go. Go. Not, not into isolation, but we should go to the person that hurt us. Here's the thing. We must make the first move. We must make the first move. Don't we often make these weird agreements with ourselves? These, we, we, we dig our heels into the ground. We make these weird agreements with ourselves that I, I'm not going to forgive them until they acknowledge and realize what they have done to us. And so why do we do that? It, 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 it's not effective. Why do we think, again, why do we think that our attitude or giving someone the cold shoulder is going to help them come to their senses? It, it, I've never seen that work out well. And what ends up happening is now you're in the wrong and you have to go and apologize. But we need to make the first move because they probably don't even know how they have hurt us. And by the way, we need to make the first move whether or not we are the one who gets offended or we do the offending. This is something fascinating from the teaching of Jesus. Check this out. Jesus says in Matthew 18 that if your brother or sister sins, meaning if they sin against you, if they've hurt you, Go and point out their fault. But he also says in Matthew 5 that if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, meaning that you have been sinned against, you are to what? Go and be reconciled to them. So we go whether we have been offended or whether we have done the offending. We go in either situation. And I'm telling you, it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of tenderheartedness when we are the ones to make the first move. When we are the ones to make the first move. But not only that, we are never more like Jesus than when we go to others. You see, when we were far off, Jesus came to us. Jesus came to, came to us. And that leads me to our last point. Remember, the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. We are ending this series right where we started it. Back on April 16th, Pastor Ben kicked off this series with the parable of the unmerciful servant. 
the unmerciful servant was a man who had accumulated this, this massive debt, a debt that he would never be able to pay off even in a thousand lifetimes. He and his family, though, were spared from being sold into slavery. He, he was shown mercy. But despite all of that, he was unable to forgive a fellow servant that owed him just a fraction, a minuscule amount, a small amount of what he was owed, of what he owed and was forgiven. He had no mercy on the man and he threw him into prison. And Jesus shared that story as a warning to us to remind us that that picture can't be us. We can't be people who have been forgiven, yet we are still locking other people up. It can't be us. And may I remind us that our freedom wasn't free. It cost us nothing, but it cost Jesus everything. Our freedom was purchased by the blood and the cross of our Lord and Savior. And so when we, whenever we find it difficult to forgive, especially the minor offenses, Come on now. Whenever we find it difficult to forgive, whenever we are holding grudges, whenever we are building up walls, more than likely what has happened is that we have forgotten all that we have been forgiven and how much it cost our God to forgive us. We have forgotten it. You see, because as C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And so, remember, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And when we remember, that's how we, we receive a heart transplant. That's how we are able to replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And so right now, at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion. This is a practice that Jesus gave us to remember his sacrifice, to remember our forgiveness, and to remember the reconciliation that he's after. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.